0: Just go to indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's indeed.com slash Bluewire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You
1: need Indeed. You know, they said it couldn't be done, that the Yin's No Ball podcast wouldn't be back for a second week. They said that the Steelers and Matt Canada will be so bad that this podcast couldn't possibly survive to the fourth week of the NFL season. But they were wrong. The haters, of which there are many, were wrong. We're back. It's actually, it's just me. It's just John today. Brad, uh, he couldn't join me tonight, but he'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about the offense. Brad gets to talk offense two weeks in a row. What a privilege. What a privilege for Brad to talk about the Steelers offense. I'm going to talk a little defense getting into some notes. I'm about three-fourths of the way through the All-22, but it was getting late here. I want to make sure I got this podcast up. I'm going to finish it, and I'll add anything tomorrow that I want to throw in there about the defense and in terms of their performance against the Texans. There are some good things from this tape. There are some bad things from this tape, and unfortunately, I struggle to see how the bad things get better because they revolve around the secondary more than anything. So let's start with the general place where most people – Find blame in this. Actually, before we do that, let me say this. If you are listening to the podcast and you're like, oh, this podcast was great last week. I'm excited to tune in this week or you're hearing it for the first time. Awesome. Stop where you're right now and text and share this pod with a friend or a family member or another Steeler fan that you know, a Steeler group, a community online, something like that. Those are the kind of places that if we're able to get into those places and we're able to get ratings and reviews from y'all, that kind of stuff boosts us so much. So we're not asking for money. We're not asking for much time or anything. Just, boom, send out the link real quick. If you have social media, share it. Whatever you guys can do to spread the word. I've said this for years. Every podcast, every place, every company I've worked for over the years in media We are totally dependent in terms of growth on what fans do. We can tweet things out from our accounts and sure it helps and over time it'll matter. But if y'all share it with somebody like trustworthy, that's what I do with pods. I love, I share them with people in my life. I'm like, Hey, if you're interested in this, this podcast is perfect for you. When they trust you, that makes all the difference in the world. They'll go listen to that pod and more than likely they'll like it. And so we're relying on y'all to spread the words as much as you can do that. We'd really appreciate it. All right, so let's jump into this game. Defensively, the most of the blame after the game I saw floating around Steelers media, you know, they're kind of grabbing at whatever seems like a normal headline. Texans ran for a lot. Steelers didn't get any sacks. Must be the defensive line, right? Now, that's where the blame goes right away. This high-priced defensive line doing nothing in a pivotal game. Steelers get crushed 30-6 to to Houston Texans and they fall to two and two on the season. I get it. It's tempting to go with this narrative. Let me remind everyone of one of the staples of of what I've said as an analyst over the years. I've repeatedly said this over and over again. It is so easy and common for fans and media to want to gravitate toward blaming the biggest the, the best part of a team when something goes poorly. Uh, because they think that they should both bear the most responsibility. So if that's often the case with the quarterback, right? We see the quarterback get tons of blame if a team loses, but ultimately you can look at the same and say, yeah, the quarterback was the best player out there. Maybe he wasn't perfect, but he's the best player out there. Instead, all the weak links of the team actually are the ones that contributed. They weren't able to step up and in this game. They got revealed as an issue and they got exposed. And those are the links that actually need to step up in the future. Those are the players that need to be better instead we are so tempted to go and blame the unit that we feel or the player or something like that that we feel the most responsibility should be on and it's a backwards way of looking at it it's rarely the best part of your team that is most to blame for a crushing loss sometimes it happens but it's rarely the case where the best part of your team undisputably the defensive line is the most to blame for a loss like this one and as you examine the tape you quickly see that although they were not perfect on the defensive line either, they have not been perfect with the loss of Cam Hayward playing a large role here, um, they were more than good enough on the defensive line to win. This game was lost in the secondary more than anything else. And we will talk about that. uh, But first, let's just talk about up front and the Texans and what they did as a scheme offensively. Just so impressive, man. I mean, the play sequencing, the scheme, they said, we are going to – Take advantage of the fact that you want to, your rushers want to tee off. We're going to let those guys get upfield and we're going to run screens in behind them. We're going to take advantage of the fact that you have young defensive tackles, right? And we're going to run screens in behind them. We're going to get those guys attacking, uh, acting like they could, you know, sowing them, they can win as pass rushers and then push past those guys, get our blockers out in space on your linebackers as they're deep dropping and get out in the screen game. Worked beautifully in the first half. They had three or four successful screens, they were all executed really well. Blockers got out in space. Steelers didn't identify any of them. Great play sequencing, too. It was a second and six screen. It was on the first drive of the game. A first and ten screen. Like, again, everybody's looking for those on third down. Nobody's looking for a screen on second and six. So just very good stuff by Bobby Sloic. Shanahan Tree continues to thrive. Um, He's off to a wonderful start. And the Texans also said, we're going to get this run game on track, which had been struggling this season, and we're going to do it by attacking on the perimeter, and we're going to do it by attacking the the aspect of the Steelers that doesn't want to play run defense more than any other aspect, and that is their cornerbacks, which have been dreadful this year in run support. That continued on Sunday was a huge part of why. The the deficit happened. Minka Fitzpatrick is the only secondary player for the Steelers and Shannon Sullivan to a degree as well, although he's not on the field that often. So, you know, we put 21 snaps in this game. So but out of the base, Minka is the only one that wants to play run defense. Um, And so because of that, teams are just starting to realize they can just attack Patrick Peace and they can attack um, Levi Wallace, who's been just dreadful in run support. And because of that, it's opening up options, right? So the run game's really successful. People say blame the defensive line. What the Texans were actually doing, and I'm gonna try and make a video about this uh, on on our YouTube, if Yin's no ball uh, podcast on YouTube, go subscribe to the page, follow, leave a review or comment on there. I put a video up last week, check it out. Um, but I'm gonna try to put a video up this week on the Steelers run defense. Last week it was the rush offense. This week I'm gonna try and put it on the run defense and talk about what I'm kind of seeing there because what I saw more than anything was they cracked the ends and they kind of just sealed the ends, basically tried to pin them down there and then try to bump and run outside of them. So get your pullers out in space, make the Steelers linebackers flow over the top, which uh, Holcomb's a good athlete. Uh, Roberts is not. And so and sometimes if you're a second late idea and if you're a good athlete, you can get caught up in the wash show. Can we pin the ends, block down on the D tackles, pull linemen out on the perimeter, make the safety run the alley? especially if mink is in the box and it has to be kz or neil run the alley um and uh and make the corners come up and tackle uh, can they take us on in the perimeter and turn the run back inside and some of the plays are so embarrassing by patrick peterson and levi wallace and we're talking about two veteran guys right like that have played that have been good tacklers at points in their careers and i just don't know what's going on i really don't but it's It's just – you cannot have that kind of effort in the NFL. Like, it's just – I mean, if Pat Pete wants to retire, he just needs to retire. Like, you can't come out and – I mean, he'd get blown off the ball. Texans' first drive of the game, he got blown up by Nico Collins. (laughs) I mean, knocked four or five yards back into Minka Fitzpatrick's path. And I'll show this in the video if I'm able to get it up this week. Into Minka Fitzpatrick's path prohibiting him from getting to the ball carrier, which allowed it to be an eight-yard game when it could have been like a two-yard game. Because Cole Holcomb ran the alley perfectly. He got out there in the perimeter, pushed the run way wide, tanked out with the ball. He's not going to be able to catch him, but he pushed him way wide. Tank had to go all the way to the sideline. But there's nobody there because Pat P got blown off the ball right into Mika Fitzpatrick. So everybody flowing over behind Holcomb is now out of their lanes because Pat P can't even hold his water. Even if he hadn't just just had taken on the block and not gotten knocked all the way backward into his teammate, it would have been fine. Minko would have got there because he read it so quickly, but he couldn't because he got delayed and bumped off by Pat Pete. So, I mean, it's that Levi Wallace, I mean, he's got pancaked by by, uh, Robert Woods. I mean, he's constantly getting knocked back by blockers. He comes in high. He's not going low. He's not going to play around blocks. He's really late to diagnose. It's just a mess out there on the perimeter. And the Texans saw it, so they just they said, we're going to go play action, we're going to max protect, we're going to six or seven guys, we're going to chip all these ends on almost every play. T.J. Watt, I mean, he hardly ever got a one-on-one rush. Every single play. And, I mean, there were plays, they blocked him with tight end, they chipped him with a running back, and the tackle was standing behind the tight end waiting for him. I kid you not. That happened more than once in this game. They were willing to commit that kind of resources to him which ultimately should mean that you have nobody in the route tree. Your quarterback should have to hold the ball, right? At the very least, even if there's people like chipping and delaying into the routes and the quarterback's going to get those guys, the ball that should mean at least the quarterback is to hold the ball. If that's happening, they're chipping two guys or keeping two guys in to protect three guys in the route tree. Like that cannot, you cannot have people open immediately. Instead, CJ Stroud, 2.5 seconds to throw the ball throughout this game. Even on plays he was under pressure, he was under three seconds, which is bonkers. That never happens. Everybody's over three seconds on plays that they're pressured. He wasn't even that. So yeah, blaming the defensive line in terms of pass rush, probably one of the more foolish and surface level analysis reactions you can have to this game. If you actually watch the tape when these guys got one-on-one, Highsmith was winning when he got one-on-ones. Benton was winning when he got one-on-ones. Um, Watt was, I think he got two one-on-ones maybe the whole game so far that I've watched through. Then even those were like quick throws, like he didn't have a shot at his sack. He's winning one on
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: one so again there was just no shot like the ball's coming out so quick or there's so many blockers to work through and there's a play Watt throws andrew back aside the, the tight end who was the first player to get to him and then has to engage the tackle and just in the time that it takes to do that he literally threw him on the ground he threw him like five yards but just in the time it takes to do that and the effort it takes to do that there's another second and the ball's out by that point so that's fine if other if the players in the secondary are doing even an adequate job But because the play is so far below average for everybody in the secondary, really, um, that's playing right now, and Joey Porter Jr. played 10 snaps in this game, um, I don't know what the answer is because of that. Because you could put Joey Porter Jr. in there, and maybe he's better than Levi Wallace or Patrick Peterson at this point. I don't even care who you you bench. Peterson was so atrocious in the run game and as a tackler and just didn't seem like he wanted to be out there, and he can't run, so at least... Yeah, at least Levi Wallace does make some plays sometimes, although he, I mean, he's terrible as well. Like it's, I don't know who you bench, um, but even if Joey Porter Jr. comes in, it's not like he's going to be all world, even if he's an upgrade. So you still have a weak corner spot. Porter Jr. is still a rookie. And then you have a safety spot that's been rotating between KZ and Neil, both, you know, the old Atlanta Falcons safety battery. They look like they need to be out of the league. So, I don't know how many, like how many rosters will KZ, Neil, Pat Pete, Levi Wallace be on next season when they're not on the Steelers, or if they're not all back on the Steelers, I'm assuming they won't be. I'm not sure that they're on rosters around the league. Like this is, they're both, they're all kind of getting up there. They've all had injuries at certain points before. I mean, Pat Pete's definitely getting up there. Um, And, and, you know, I don't know. I do. None of them are starters next season around the league. I'll tell you that for sure. So that's who the Steelers are relying on. And it's just. It's just killing them right now. Like they try not to even go man coverage that much. I think nine dropbacks in this game. And on those nine dropbacks, it was just torch city. I mean, there was just no shot. Uh, Pat P gave up two touchdowns. Levi Wallace gave up a touchdown. Um, It's just so bad. Like there's nothing you can do when you go man coverage. They can't cover anybody. Uh, Texans wide receivers are, you know, not exactly household names yet. Although I was impressed with all of them on tape, but, um, and these guys are getting killed out there. So, that's a big concern. Keanu Neal four missed tackles team had 14 as a whole. So, even if we're talking about all the things we're talking about schematically, great game playing by the Texans, Max protecting, moving the pocket or slide protections, getting CJ Stroud easy to find reads when he had to play in the drop back game and do full fields, he did it. Um, Uh, the run game getting on the perimeter making the corners tackle pinning down the strength of their team and trying to work around those guys rather than go at them Uh, just really good stuff play action the screen game uh, they were great on play action Uh, I mean it was it was a killer game plan no question but it also showed the chasm that exists right now in coaching between the Steelers and the Texans and I think that yeah that there's there's a lot of interesting th- aspects to this for the Steelers because, yes, I don't like the fact that they still spot drop as much as they do. And I think their coverage schemes become very predictable defensively. But I also don't have any idea what this group is capable like, of. I think the bar is so low in terms of what this starting group is capable of. You just have so little speed in your secondary outside of Minko when Joey Porter Jr. is not out there. I, I mean, Pat Pete, Levi Walls ran a 4 6 when he came out of college pat pete probably is slower than wallace now sullivan's not fast keanu neal has had tons of major injuries his speed is a is a a negative you know kz's never been this unreal athlete or anything so you just have such poor team speed that you're just not able to get anywhere when you play zone coverage like you just can't close on anything so guys are just making catches all the time in, in front of you and so that's part of it. Like they're just losing people. They don't have the range. They don't have the athletes. They don't have the instincts, the ball skills, like all the things you want. If you're going to play zone, you know you're going to give some stuff up, but when and where are the splash plays going to come in coverage? And they just don't have those. Like that's just not part of what this team has. So the answer would be to play more aggressive, kind of match a man coverage, maybe try to press more often. And I'm for that. But again, I just think like you're probably going to give up big plays at certain points because these guys can't run and you get into man coverage situations, teams are going to start attacking you vertically down the field, especially teams with the guys to do it. So wasn't even really how the Texans attacked them in this game, but when they did late in the game, it was their only throw over 20-plus air yards, and Stroud put it right on the money for a touchdown to beat Patrick Peterson there. So it, there's that's the unit right now that I thought going into the season, can these guys just be passable? Last year, Levi Wallace was passable probably. Obviously, Pat B played in a zone-heavy scheme, but he was passable last year in Minnesota. And so, okay, maybe in in the other safety spot, yeah, it's not going to be good. But like, if Minka and the other, like, can you work around? No, just the answer is no. I was just straight up wrong. Like, I just thought they could be at least average, and they're the they're the worst group in the league starting. I think. Like, I've looked around the league, I've watched tape of almost every team. There's not many secondaries I'd say that are worse. I mean, Minka saves it, but even he is just like looking around after every single play, and he's like, "How are we screwing this stuff up?" Like. That's the thing that's most frustrating probably is the mental mistakes that are happening. And Brad and I talked about this a little bit last week, but how is Patrick Peterson making mental mistakes? He's like one of the old – I think he's maybe the oldest corner in the league. So how's he making mental mistakes at this stage in his career? I mean Sullivan, Wallace, Peterson, Casey, Neal, those guys are all veterans. Like there's no reason why they should be making the mental mistakes that they are. Processing route combinations, blown coverages. Last year, week, it was the touchdown pass to Adams at the beginning of the game on a blown coverage by Pat Pete. And so, or late coverage rotation, late recognition um, of his assignment. And so that kind of stuff is really derailing the team right now. And although maybe you can get the mental stuff in a better spot, Tomlin's talked about how the communication has been poor um, to start the year, like they haven't been on the same page enough. Maybe that can be fixed with a little more playing time together. But just again, like I said, the physical athletic limitations with this group are just so significant that I think it's going to be just a really rough ride all year with the, with the defensive back room. And it's another reason why Porter junior should play because like, I don't think he's so lost that he couldn't even be out there and you're not losing anything. Like even if he struggles, what are you losing? Like the rest of these guys are bad too. So uh, I would, I would just be looking to play him and I'd be trying to figure out where Desmond King is at and trying to play him as well. And yeah, it's not going to be perfect. Those guys are not world beaters, but you're really looking for anything at this point. Like Tomlin actually said, they're going to change some things this week. (laughs) We'll see. I believe that when I see it sort of, but I I really, when I look at this team, like secondary is the place where I don't see a lot of places to pivot. You know, I mean, you, like I said, you play Porter jr. But I still a pretty raw rookie coming out of Penn state. I, I, I don't know that it's going to be perfect, although I do it. I don't know if it's going to be perfect still. So that I think is where uh, some of the frustration sets in when you think about the Steelers' defense because the front is good. Like the linebacker's play has improved. Please do not let anyone tell you that the Steelers' linebacker play is the same as it was last year. It just isn't true. Cole Holcomb and Landon Roberts and Quan Alexander are much better than anything the Steelers put on the field this year. last year. Much better. And it's proven over and over again. Are they perfect? No, you are not paying for Fred Warner. You're not paying for Roquan Smith. Those are not the type of guys that you employ. Like, yes, Landon Roberts can't cover. It's not that he doesn't know where to be. He does. But he, he can't cover. Like He doesn't have that kind of athletic range. When they test him down the seam and they put him in a spot where he's supposed to be the pole runner in Tampa 2 and take a guy down the seam, he's going to get beat like Dalton Schultz beat him um in, in this past game, so you have to find ways to scheme around limitations, and that's where the coaching staff comes in. But Roberts is playing excellent run defense, head downhill, all of those kind of things. Taking on blocks, beating guys to spots, there are good things. People who don't watch the All Twenty Two, you got to say. I mean, Cole Holcomb played a very good game for like the third week in a row on Sunday. He played well. Like he, he's a good player. Like yes, there are options. There are time play, times where they get exposed, where play beats them for sure. Like I said, these that's gonna happen to these guys. Like they're not elite players, but they are good, solid starters. Like Quan Alexander played a very good game, and and I think he's been kind of up and down this season, but he was good. Uh, he was good, and uh, he played uh, 27 snaps, but most of them were good uh, um, on Sunday. So that group is much better. The defensive line is much deeper. Keanu Benton was outstanding in this game. I mean, the run defense, stacking and shedding, and finding the ball through blocks and um man he was really impressive some of the pass rushers there's one rush uh, i forget who was playing left tackle oh uh, was it was a george fant playing left tackle i think for the texans um and he put fant on his back like just bulldozed him straight over and he might add a sack except um fant grabbed his leg and tackled him and benton looked up after the play and the refs were so bad the refs might have been as bad as the steelers um not that the steelers deserve you know they still would have gotten killed but uh, it was just atrocious how many calls went, went against them that shouldn't have and he kind of like looks up to the ref, he sits up and he's gesturing, you know, why didn't you, why didn't you call that? Um, but he was really great. He was great. I mean, a lot of good things from Benton. Uh, Milk was good. It uh, wasn't a great Joby game. Um, he'll have those every once in a while. He just kind of like freelances and abandons technique. And so it was a rough game for him, I'd say. You know, Monty Adams is never perfect, but he plays extremely hard. I wouldn't want him to play 41 snaps personally, but with Hayward out, I think that they feel like they're a little bit limited. But if he's playing 41 snaps and Keanu Benton's playing 29, there's something wrong with that to me. You need to probably get to a point where you're flipping that. I mean, I don't. Armand Watch should not be playing more snaps than Benton. Benton is your best defensive tackle right now. I don't think that's particularly close. Okunjobi maybe on passing downs you could say is better, um, but Benton is going to be one of your top guys. So the, the Steelers could benefit themselves by stop by. Discontinuing some of the dumb personnel decisions that they make for sure. And I think those things are true and like have always been true about the Steelers. They tend to make board personnel decisions and it puts the team at a disadvantage. However, I don't know that because just because these guys are rookies, like I don't know that like a doubling, you know, you know, if Porter's playing 40 snaps and Benton's playing 20 more snaps that it necessarily means this team is going to be that much better just because of those things. So I always want to caution people. You can make the right decision and have a better process. It doesn't necessarily mean the results are going to change dramatically like this week or in the coming weeks. These guys are still rookies still going to make mistakes. The upside's higher. They develop quicker. So next year or the th- or third year, like yeah, they're more ready at that point, those things are true. And maybe you get more splash plays because there actually is the upside and the flashes that there aren't, isn't there with the other guys. So they could benefit from those things, but Right now, I think the biggest thing is that the starters, some of these starters do need to play better, but most of that is in the secondary. Like that is so far and away the biggest issue with the team. Um, and I don't know how that gets fixed because they just have a bunch of bad players <laughs> and it's that simple uh, and it sucks, but they do a little bit of everything in coverage um, and they're just kind of limited in all of it. Uh, there's no real way to lean, in my opinion, with that kind of stuff. Um, you need new players. Um, Let's see what else we have in the notes. Uh, mentioned the screen game. Holcomb actually sniffed one out on a first and 10. It was a great read by him, but three blockers released. They kind of swiped all the defensive tackles down to the ground, like they they didn't read screen at all. And the Texans, all three of their interior offensive linemen got out in space, and Holcomb just couldn't get through everybody to make the play. Um, so you need your D tackles to recognize that it was Watts and uh Monte Adams I believe on that play and so they kind of took advantage of the fact that Adams is like one of the most aggressive guys in the league probably just teeing off upfield and uh Watts just not having seen a lot of ball those guys um so you know good calls again like it was great calls I mean they knew what they were up against and they knew how to set the Steelers up um that I mentioned the run defense with Wallace and Pat Pete being one of the biggest issues uh it wasn't like they were getting bodied up front if you watch the tape that's not the case, but instead it was just scheme. Scheme and the fact that wide receivers and tight ends can block for this team, it opens up so many different things. So there's times the linebackers could have been better, but a lot of the issues in the run game were because corners and safeties didn't tackle well. Um, and Minka very much excluded from that. He was outstanding in run defense. Um, they have to put him around the box a lot of the time because they don't trust anybody else in that situation. Um, I mean, Neil, that should be the one place that – Tends to shine, but when you miss four tackles, it's hard to feel like there's a good role for you out there um, in the defense. Uh, mentioned the the 2.5 seconds of throw for CJ Stroud. The highsmith still almost got him a couple times because he won immediately. I think highsmith they gave four technical pressures. I I always wonder how exactly pressure scored in 63 snaps and uh how many of those were pass rush, 27 snaps or pass rush snaps. So yeah, I mean, he was consistent when he had one on one opportunities. He was making a count, but they were really doing an unbelievable job with the backfield motion. And then also, remember, the play action was a big part of it as well. The play action was kind of holding guys a good bit and letting guys and not letting guys tee off the same way. So, Texans just had a great game plan. And I think that they deserve a lot of credit. Uh, as bad as the Steelers played on both sides of the ball, I did feel like offensively it was like more of the sandwich we'll talk about tomorrow. But defensively, I did. I felt like there were so many things the Texans did well that the Steelers had no answer for, and no adjustment for as the game went on, which they deserve criticism for. But I felt like going into this game, I said, we'll learn a lot about what type of team the Texans are and uh, what kind of attack and how many different ways they can attack you because they kept showing new things every game. And yeah, for them to get the run game going like this, going all perimeter and trying to get outside and crack tossing and... Um, really it was super impressive to see, um, their play calling tendencies are not yet really known by teams. So they're really keeping people off balance, kind of the anti-mat Canada where everybody knows what's coming. Um, it was hard. They did still just didn't know what was coming a few times in the game. And they, almost every time that was the case, they got burnt for a big play as happens in these games. So I don't think the sky is totally falling for this defense. There are still good things about the defense for sure. But, yeah, the sooner Game Hayward gets back, the better. The sooner Joey Porter Jr. and Benton play more snaps, the better. Um, playing this deep of a rotation at defensive tackle is costing you some. Like, you are running a lot of guys out there, and it doesn't feel like you have much of a feel for who your best guys are and who you want to lean on. So you're not really leaning on anybody right now. I think Ogan Joby's leading the D-line group without uh, Hayward out there, and he played 46 of 71 snaps. Which is fine. But again, when Monty Adams is playing 41, Armand Watts is playing 34, how is Watts playing more than Keanu Ben? He just came up from the act to the active roster. Ben is your early second round pick. Like, he's been awesome. I just, that is crazy to me. And I also think DeMarvin Leal has been good. So, Leal played 21 snaps. Uh, Yeah, I don't. I mean Watts wasn't a disaster or anything, but I just I, there was nothing from him. Especially as a pass rusher here, I wasn't anything. I feel like right now, so yeah, curious decisions. Like I said, I think those things can help, but ultimately the issues with this team having a when you have a bottom tier cornerback group in the NFL, it has to be so special in all other phases of your defense to be able to get to that point where you're like a really good defense. And even then, I I just don't think, how can you do it without without corners that are at least above average
2: My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop mypatriotsupply.com today.
1: mypatriotsupply.com. Players who played well, I mentioned Benton, Highsmith, several near sacks. He also had some cool plays in the run game, he continues to impress as a full-fledged all-around player to me, like I just think he's been outstanding this season. I think the Steelers have to feel so good about that contract uh, moving forward. Um, Holcomb continues to get better and better. He is clearly, to me, the guy that can play every down that you've got to lean on. Like that's the easier guy, linebacker. And then you figure it out with Roberts and Quan, game-to-game, to situation matchup to matchup, all those things. Um but good to have a guy like that. It seems like he's adjusting well enough to play. I caught up a bunch of plays actually of Holcomb and I'll, um, I'll show some of them uh, in that video. If I get to it this week um, mentioned Minka's elite run defense, um, the remedies to this. Uh, one thing I wonder about is if they could find a safety at the deadline, you know, what, what happens? One thing I wanted to check that I forgot. Like, can you find somebody that's playable at the deadline? that gives allows you to use Minka kind of where you need him a little bit more right now. They're just, they're trying to move Minka all over the place, which I understand why, but it is, it's just pretty hard. Like wherever you don't have him, you're very weak (laughs) and teams are just kind of going to be continuing to attack that the safeties weren't like totally exposed in coverage in this game, but they have been this season. And I think that's going to continue to be an issue too. So, um, So, yeah, I think that would be the one thing. Like if you're still in it, for some reason, just the way the cookie seems to crumble for the Steelers over the years is that they look terrible and they win six games that you're like, how do they even win this game? Okay. Um, So if that continues to happen and you're looking to make a move, that would be a position I would be interested in. Maybe we'll do this for another for later episodes, look around the league and see is there any safety we could get like for a day three pick that would just be better than these guys who probably shouldn't be playing in the NFL um, I would be curious to to try and find that out to try and see if there would be anybody out there that could that could be that could fill a role like that because right now, yeah, I mean, maybe you move Patrick Peterson there. I know there was some talk about that at some point, and I can't imagine that being good to be honest. Like, that seems like a disaster to me, but I don't know. I'm not sure what the answer is, but it's hard for me to envision all season playing Devontae KZ this much in this game. He played 34 snaps, so I guess you're really like splitting a safety role between neil and kz which feels bizarre kz played or neil played 45 snaps in this game but he's really just a box safety like he can't really play deep every time he does he misses tackles in space he doesn't make any plays on the ball so i really have no idea what the plan is at safety they really just said here's two guys that have played before like let's just go for it and i guess even i didn't think it would be this bad but it's just been so bad. I don't know how you could go all season like this, and they don't really have another option on the team. So, I don't know. That to me is one of the most interesting groups because at corner they paid Pat Pete, and Joey Porter is going to play more at some point this season. So I kind of know what the end game is there. I don't know what they do at safety. I really don't. So we may have to spend some time on a podcast looking ahead and looking, kind of looking around the league and seeing um, if there are any safeties out there that could potentially work for them this season um you'd you'd want to do that a corner too if possible but i don't want to spend high-end assets like i you're not that type of team even if you get somebody and you don't want to look for expirings so yeah i i uh i think that would be one thing that i'll be looking for for them from the deadline is if is if they try to make a move at safety at some point all right let's get to some bookmarked tweets some things that I saw people tweet out about the Steelers that are not my original work, but they are some pretty good thoughts and comments out there that I think people will be interested in. Sheil Kapadia of the athletic shield says street continues. The Steelers have now gone 39 straight games under offensive coordinator, Matt Canada, without gaining 400 plus yards during that span. Other teams have gained 400 plus yards, 295 times. Or nine and a half times per team. Steelers had 225 yards on Sunday. They've been under 303 in three of four games this season. Just disgraceful stuff. Truly disgraceful stuff. We will go a long time in the NFL without seeing a stretch of an aptitude like the one that Matt Canada has put the and Mike and Mike Tomlin the one that Mike Tomlin has put the Steelers through with his commitment to Mac Canada. Um, Tomlin fourth and two down 17 points in the fourth quarter, 10 minutes left from his own 36. Obviously the Steelers are unlikely to win the game no matter what he does, but this is a no brainer, right? Even the most cowardly coaches in the league are going for a fourth and two on their own 36 down 17 points with 10 minutes left. How do you make the math work? If you, if you need 17 points with 10 minutes left in the game, if you don't go for this, you can't punt it away to the other team, and he did it. An absurd decision, as Seth Water of ESPN. If you're not following Seth Water on Twitter, he is wonderful. putting out a lot of these numbers, and he's a very. I know some people get mad because analytics community sometimes can get a little hotty toddy and you know we're better than you, we're smarter than you. That vibe comes off to people sometimes that way. But Seth Water does not do that. He is he's really great, and he introduces a lot of really cool stats, and and uh, and he often uh, talking uh, about the Steelers too on his account. Like he'll. Because with all the motion conversations about Canada, he tweets out some good motion stats, too, at times. So, from Alex Kazora, my good buddy over at Steelers Depot, two back-to-back for him. Since 2021, the Steelers have had more first-quarter drives end in turnovers, 15, than they have end in touchdowns, 13. They're the only team in the league with such a stat. Again, we will... Go a long time before we see a stretch of an aptitude quite like what Mike Tomlin's put the Steelers team through right now. Uh, the Steelers um, have lost six football games since 2021. The Steelers have lost six games by 22 or more points. That's tied with the Giants for the most in football. From 1998 to 2020, Pittsburgh only lost six such games. Steelers aren't just losing. They're getting routinely crushed. Also, from Alex Kazora. Pretty, pretty wild stuff. I mean, great numbers and stats, and appreciate the work those guys do putting those things together. But I had to read the, some of those to y'all just so you realize the type of incompetence that's happening right now in the Steelers organization from the top down for sure. Although I do think Omar's going to be a step in the right direction. And that is the one thing that keeps, like, that's the redemptive arc right now for this team is him realizing things. But the level of change that needs to happen to this organization in the off season. And we'll talk about Tomlin. Let's get, let's, let's get through the season, but we know Matt Canada, Danny Smith, some of these positional coaches, I fully believe that Terrell Austin as well. Like th- there are better options out there than those guys. And in some cases, every option is better in the case of Matt Canada. So that needs to be redone. Like that staff needs to be redone for sure. And then we'll talk about Tomlin um, down the line and some reasonings on on my thoughts on him once we get to that point. But that when you see incompetence like this for this sustained stretch, that never reverses itself under the exact same regime. It just does not. You go throughout history and find the most incompetent stretches. It happens when people get fired. That's what changes. So when I tweeted that out the other day during the game, and I think actually is the least pushback I've ever gotten, even though I've been saying it for like five years, nothing's going to change for real in Pittsburgh until they – fire a lot of people like because the, the culture is totally destroyed it was we're gonna do everything different than the rest of the league and we're smarter and better at talent and better at evaluation than they are and we'll figure everything out and for a while that actually like they were in the top tier of that and they drafted at such a great rate like that again they were able to sustain that soon as that fell off at all then they were boom bottom of the league as soon as they didn't have an elite quarterback elite talent all the things taught aliad when he was here as soon as that fell off we've seen the result and so that's where this hat the change has to happen like yeah you maybe kenny pickett's not the answer and that can be fixed down the road like as an organization gets a new quarterback but nothing changes doesn't matter we're never going to find out about kenny or another quarterback until the incompetence that's above that quarterback position uh is put to rest here so that's what we'll need to change but until then Brad and I will have you covered. We'll continue to talk all things Steelers with y'all. We've got a lot more to break down. Tomorrow we'll go in-depth on the offense. Um, Some thoughts that we have there. Kenny Pickett's injury. Mitch Trubisky. Could he be a better fit? Will anything be better with Trubisky in there? Our thoughts on the offensive line as a whole. Nate Herbig's first start of the season. um, Some of those kind of things. Yeah, who's struggling, who's not the dumbest thing Canada did this week, um, all those kind of things. So make sure you tune in with us tomorrow. That podcast will drop probably late afternoon for y'all um, on all the normal spots to your podcast. Again, share the podcast, like, subscribe to the podcast, share it with people, review it, rate it. All of those good things help us out so much when you do that. So we appreciate y'all. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of Yin's No Ball. Talk to you tomorrow. Peace.